I'm Phil Johnston. And I'm Clark Spencer. We wanted a lot of Ralph's contemporaries to be in there from, you know, sort of illustrate the point of a character who's been doing the same job for a long time. And, um, uh, you know, given that that's Ralph's journey, sort of learning to accept himself and his lot in life and love himself. And so the fact that Pac-Man, Q-Bird, those games from the early 80s would be Ralph's contemporaries was a lot of the reason behind that. Um, but there are, you know, there are new guys. M. Bison is Bowser, you know, are more contemporaries. <coughs> and we no were somewhat... Was no Tron. <laughs> 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 well, we were somewhat limited, but once we said we are going to place it into an arcade, then the games had to be true arcade games that we were going to put into the film. We couldn't draw upon games that kids might be playing on their Xbox system that didn't exist as an ar in, in an arcade. So that was also part of the limitation as to where we were going to go. Did it did actually exist as a in uh, in a thing. We I think we felt like it, for us we didn't want it to feel like we were doing the Disney thing, Tron being a Disney film. So we thought it would be more fun to have characters that came outside the Disney canon. It's a nine quadrant film where <laughs> parents, children, pets, house plants are all going to love it. Uh, no, I mean I think first and foremost it's you know you want a story that is going to have some universality. And you want characters that you follow and love. And so, yes, it takes place in the world of video games, but we could, I feel strongly, we could put Ralph and Penelope and Felix and Calhoun in a movie that takes place in, in an office, and I would love following them in whatever they do. So that's first and foremost where we start, I think. And then, you know, the fact that I'm 40, and I grew up playing Q-Bird and Pac-Man and stuff, and my daughter's now three, uh, and doesn't play video games, but you know, the old, slightly older kids know what video games are, and so I think are going to understand those worlds and kind of the rules of those worlds. And then the fact that you have this character going on a journey that's that's quite relatable, I think I think it I think it gives something to the kids and to the parents. And we did debate for a long time, but I think at the end of the day, you know, John Lasseter always says create a believable world, and I think you can visually understand what's going on in this movie because you set it in an arcade and you can see that power plug and you can see the power strip mm -hmm. that makes it all start to make sense visually. And if, if you were to go into an Xbox system, you could probably figure out a way to do it, but it's way more complicated mm -hmm. for the world to wrap their brains around how are these characters interacting and yeah. where are the games and how are they connected to each other. So I think there's there was an aspect of that when we spent m months literally debating this arcade or Xbox kind of a location, it felt like the arcade was the right thing. And I think to Phil's point, it, it won't matter for kids whether they physically have been in an arcade or not. They'll understand what the is happening just um, from a visual standpoint. And ironically, I think, you know, video games still exist in theaters and they're in um, Dave and Buster's and they're in Chuck E. Cheese. So they've seen it if they haven't actually gone and played. So I think they'll, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, you're right. A 12-step video game. Of course, that's. I think that's that's where you're 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 hoping that parents will get something out of it that maybe kids aren't. And the twelve step thing, yeah, we all either know people or are in it them <laughs> themselves. And that idea was to me such a it, w it was a huge moment for me when we came up with that idea because it it gave. It, it, it gave definition to Ralph's journey so easily. Like, he's this guy that's conflicted. He doesn't know, you know, what he's supposed to be doing, why he feels the way he does. And in these modern times, I think everyone's kind of going through that, anyone that's an adult. And then at the same time, you have kids thinking it's funny because that 
you know the the ghost from Pac-Man <laughs> burning up when you know when the dragon uh, um, blows fire at him, and you have Zangief in his crazy underpants and all that stuff. So you've got you know you've got you've got something that's operating on two levels, I think, and uh, to me that's. That's what you want. Well, there's lots of play in words in Sugar Rush, of course, but I think once that world was set, we knew we could have fun. It's not as much puns. It's more like just trying to have characters use, integrate um, food within their conversation because it feels like it's ripe to that world. Whose idea was it to have Skrillex in it? Yeah, maybe his character and DJ. Um, well, the, the idea of Skrillex being a part of Hero's Duty and sort of setting the soundtrack for that part of the world was, came from a... Tom McDougal, who heads up the music department at Disney. Um, I I went to school with um, with Andrew Stanton, as you know, who directed Finding Nemo and Wall-E, um, and several of the people that that founded Pixar. When we when we all graduated, our our paths kind of split. You know, some of us went into television, some of us went into to films. Um, my path took me to The Simpsons. You know, uh, where I was a director there right after graduating very uh, very quickly out of college i'll have to say that working at disney right now and where the studio is as kind of you know uh, um it, it feels like a <laughs> even though it's the oldest studio you know uh, in la animation studio it feels like a new studio because it has new energy in it you know right now and um a lot of great projects you know in in the pipeline and these four years have really, creatively, they've been probably the most fulfilling of my career. Um, you know, this is a movie with, with John C. Riley, you know, and Sarah Silverman. And the audience is going to want to hear that chemistry, you know, between those two, two actors. Um, so it'd be kind of silly not to have them together to, to play off of one another. Um, so, so I made that happen, basically, you know. To take that big, you know, spectacular world of different genres of games, and uh, and putting a very kind of simple, uh, profound, you know, story in the middle of it. You know, a, a man, a simple man, wondering if this is all there is to life. You know, and set against the backdrop of these fantastic worlds. The Phil Johnston, who wrote the screenplay, and I developed the, the script ourselves, so it, it was uh, something that, that uh, Phil and I worked on together, so it, it did not exist when, it, when I came onto the project. Um, but just the notion of, wh when I started it, it was John Lasseter kind of mentioned, you know, we, we uh, the, the studio's been trying to do a video game movie for many, many years, and no one's really cracked it. Yeah, yeah, reading the script and seeing, like, the original sketches, it just, I don't know, it's like, oh, she talks like this, you know, like, she's just, like, a higher voice, and then maybe, like, add a cold, you know, because she's scrappy, a permanent cold. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, when I saw it, I was like, wow, I mean, first, like, when the, as the character developed, you know, um, the sketches changed and stuff, and then when I first saw, like, the eyebrows, you know, and I was like, Hey, that's like me, you know, and the hair turned black and a ponytail, and um, it's so neat, you know. It's it's already so cool to be in a Disney movie, you know. They don't just crank them out; they take a lot of time and you know 
constantly honing and tweaking and making every moment as rich as possible. And it's cool to be a part of that. And then to see like, oh, I, if I didn't forget to have children, I'd, that could have been my kid, maybe it would look like that. I know, it's like, uh, do they only know me from like Monk and Yo Gabba Gabba or something? <laughs> you know? Um, no, you know, they know, they knew full well what they were getting into, but they I found it worth it and I am shocked and grateful, you know. I'm, but you know, you look at, you know, the dirtiest comic of the 80s was Eddie Murphy and he's, he's uh, slipped into this world pretty seamlessly, but. And also, it's you know, look, I'm not, I'm not gonna try to say put in the movie or something. You know what I mean? It's I have other sides of me that are uh, can be lovely and child appropriate. You know? Would you ever play yeah. Something? It's exciting. You know, it's um, John Lasseter. I saw yesterday, and he's and I said, this is such a gift you've given me. You know? And uh, he said, yeah. I have, I've given you a gift, and Vanellope is gonna be someone that's in people's homes for beyond, you know, your years. And I was like, oh, that's so neat, you know? Yeah. Just like Being a comic is in your root, you know, is your, it's like being gay, you know, you're just, you're born that way, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's different than just a career. In my mind, it's kind of like in your, Comics are a whole other breed, and I think a little bit. And um, but I I love to act. I think that I I get um, I don't get as many opportunities to because I am people know me too much. You know I'm I'm so exposed and again can be polarizing and not for everyone and. You know, understandably, when people cast a movie or they cast something, they want people to get lost in these characters. And I think, you know, if I were casting a movie, I would understand not wanting someone that, when they, the audience looks at them, they go, oh, that's Sarah Silverman. And, you know, but I, I think I could um, disappear into a role. But, you know, and some, every once in a while, someone comes along like Sarah Polly, who's like, yeah, you know. It, it is funny, you know, when I did her movie, there were people were like, oh, who knew you could do drama? And, and Seth Rogen and I both were like, it's the same. <laughs> you know, you're just saying lines honestly. You're saying words real. I mean, it's, it's so odd to us that there's a difference in people's minds, you know. This is a movie that um, is for everybody, Disney, if Disney cannot bring Republicans and Democrats together, I don't know what can, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had a place called Space Center in New Hampshire where I live, and um, actually in northern New Hampshire is Fun Spot where King of Kong, you know, takes place, I don't know if you know that movie, you know, uh, where the grown men are very into Donkey Kong in a competition. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, yeah, we, uh, my sisters and I played video games at night. That was like the thing to do at night. And uh, our local Dairy Queen had a game called Joust that I mastered. Um, my whole family, <laughs> they're, you know, my dad, uh, I think, Googles me about every 14 seconds. But um, I have five nieces and nephews, so I'm really excited for them to see it. They live in Israel, so it probably won't be my voice. 
but uh, I'm sure they'll see the American version. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, let's face it. It's not like every day someone's coming to me saying, oh, do you want to play the lead in a Disney, Disney animated film, you know? Uh, so the pedigree of the studio and Rich's work, he did The Simpsons and he worked on Futurama. Like I, I knew he was a really talented guy. Bill Johnson, and who wrote the script, he and I had just worked together on Cedar Rapids, and he's another Midwestern guy like me, so I knew like he was going to have, uh, he was going to be able to, we were going to be able to work together in a great way. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, like it took me a little while to sign on, even having said all that, it took me a little while to sign on because I wanted to make sure I was going to really be able to believe in the project mm -hmm. and be able to really put my heart into it instead of just kind of plugging in like a hired hand kind of thing, you know? I've been offered a lot of animation in the past and it just it just seemed really kind of a, like a boring day at work actually. You can go in, a lot of times they don't even give you the whole script. They're like, yeah, just read this page. Like, don't worry, like faster, slower. Okay, now a funny one. Like, and then you go home and all the creative part is done with without you there. Um, and you don't get to meet the other actors and all this stuff. I just thought like, so I passed on a lot of stuff over the years, but I just meeting, I mean, this all began with just sitting down at lunch with Rich Moore. Uh, you know, it wasn't like walk into the giant magician hat building or anything. <laughs> it was like, just you know, go to some restaurant and sit down and meet this really sweet guy who seemed really generous and open and kind. And uh, he said, look, uh, there's, yeah, there's a way that people make these movies, but we can make this movie however we want to make it. And I want you to give as much as you want to give. And I want to make the situation work for you. And because, you know, I like the reason I'm, I, I see you as this guy is because I love your work already. And I want you to be able to work in the way you want to work. So I think uh, at the end of the day, everyone really put a lot of their heart into the movie. You know, Disney has this reputation for being this giant monolithic corporation that churns out, you know, market driven entertainment and, um, I think what we're seeing is like the beginning of a new age for the studio where, you know, with John Lasseter coming in and all the Pixar people, you could just get the sense when you're there that, yes, it's still this big corporation and it still has this wide reach, but the actual creative people behind it are being given a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, chances to really put their heart into their work. That and I, actually Jack Black and I once recorded a whole animated movie on spec. Well, you know, they were just trying to get the money together or whatever and the, all the characters were designed and everything and the script was written, but uh, yeah, and then it just, it went nowhere. My wife pointed out something to me this morning. She's like, it's so funny with the, with, you know, when Ralph goes to the party, like he's not invited and then he comes in and then he just, uh, he makes a mess of it. Like as soon as he walks in, and she said, like, little kids can really relate to that because it's like you're trying hard not to break something and then you make a mistake and or you lose your temper and you're, you're just trying to, you know, it's, it's such a precarious balance as a kid, keeping yourself in control and being able to handle things or not mess stuff up and then the regret of messing stuff up. And I don't know. Um, I think it, it seems to be working for, for all audiences, which – which I'm sure the marketing department is just over the moon about. But right now I'm like, 
oh my god, like I'm in this movie. Like I just saw it complete for the first time the other night. So I'm really still just like digesting what it's all about and yeah, you know. I knew what I was getting into. I knew like this was a big most successful would be a big thing, but that's what you want as an actor, you know, you want you want some things that you that you're proud of to be seen by people. And had the having fun part was just a you know a feature of being able to improvise in the studio and I mean that that is um, that is one of the great joys of doing voiceover work. You often have more time than you need. You know they'll book four hours for a session, and to do the scripted material well takes you probably an hour and a half, and so you have this extra time just just kind of fool around as a result the pressure of getting it right is really not there you can it just feels like this laboratory where you just kind of make each other laugh and surprise each other and that's different than on a live action movie where the sun's going down there's like <laughs> there's people staying there it costs money every second that you're out there working and there's a lot more pressure in that sit situation like I said, the ma my main goal was to just try to make it sound as honest as possible, you know. I think that's, a, I mean, if you can do it well, like Alan Tudyk, who plays King Candy in the movie, doesn't talk like that at all, you know. It's like that, that was a layer that he put on as an actor, but he does it so well. He was able to, like, he was able to be honest through that voice. Um, but Ralph's a different character than that. He's someone who's just more straight ahead, a simpler guy. I don't know. One, one of the things that's, a, that's a temptation in animation a lot. Put on a funny voice, you know, but... Yeah, I mean, I was the test generation for, <laughs> for all this stuff. I mean, you can blame me and my generation, I think, for the popularity of video games because, I mean, I, it was just undeniable. It went from pinball machines to space <laughs> invaders. I remember the, the day that that machine suddenly appeared in the bowling alley where I used to hang out in Chicago and it was like oh my god <laughs> it was such a quantum leap from from what we've had for for you know entertainment up to then this just I mean it was there weren't even computers then like people forget like no cell phones no computers like it was just this crazy thing that suddenly you could manipulate what was on the TV like couldn't even do that. There weren't even really VCRs yet. At least I didn't have one. So just the idea that you could move a button that would move something on the screen was radical, you know? And it cost me a lot of money. Like, <laughs> it was a lot of quarters. And <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why, I seemed to get worse the more I played. Like, I would be really good at first. Like, just my instincts would be great. And then the more I thought about it, like, the worse I got. <laughs> I mean, I was, was just bowled over by how seamlessly Sarah channeled that character, you know? So talk about inner child. It was like <laughs> kind of amazing. And Sarah's a really good actress. I mean, there's some scenes that we have are not that are not funny scenes that are just really heartbreaking emotional scenes. And there were some intense days. I was like, wow, you should do this more often, Sarah. You're good at this. Yeah, we went off script a lot. That was the whole point of having us in the same room being able to improvise, especially the more smart aleck kind of stuff where we would trade insults or whatever. A lot of that, we would just try to one-up each other and, and some of it ended up in the movie. And then, you know, I went in for a Q&A with all the animators uh, to 
just because they were curious to meet me and they wanted to get some more insight as they headed into the heavy lifting of the animation part of the movie about what my point of view was about the character. And uh, so I went in and did this Q&A. And then while I was there, I was like, you know, why don't I just do some movement for you guys to show you what I was thinking of? Because I have a lot of, like, you know, I come from an Irish Catholic family in Chicago. There's a lot of ex-football player guys with big guts, you know, like, you carry themselves a lot like this guy might carry himself. And so they were like, oh, my God, that was so cool how you did that. I was like, I'll, I could do that for hours. I'll come back. And they are like, you would? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so I went in and did this, like, motion study where I actually acted out the scenes. I walked around. I showed them what it was like, like the, the eight-step process of getting up out of a chair and, uh, you know, like, all that stuff. And uh, so they really appreciated that. And, and so I think as a result, even more than usual, a lot of my physical characteristics ended up in this film. Thanks a lot. I'm Jane Lynch. I play Sergeant Calhoun. How are you this morning? <laughs> oh, I'm good. Oh, yeah. Four years. Took four years to do this. Yeah, I did an episode of The Simpsons that took a year. Yeah, I would go back in and replace a line. Um, uh, Phineas and Ferb, I'm doing a Phineas and Ferb, and I think we're probably in about the year mark. That's particularly cool to yeah. look at that. that. You know, my daughter doesn't get excited about much anymore. I think, mm. I'm hosting the Emmys. Mm. Um, I came home with that, and she was like, oh! <laughs> and it says, one of 1,000 limited edition. So I'm going to sign that sucker, and it's going on eBay. <laughs> and I'm going to pay for that garage. I'm going to love it. And she's so hot, and she'll live forever looking like that. I think America cares for would would it would what would I what, what could be an action figure? How about Christy coming with a little uh, with a, a poodle? You know, <laughs> that might be funny. A mighty wind. Yeah, or a mighty wind. Yeah, yeah. The sexy. Uh, yeah, I've done some good scenes in my time, haven't I? Uh, I think she just dances. Yeah, I think she moves. Maybe she probably moves. I have not taken her out of the box. All of the forty-year-old version loses its value if you take her out of the box. When you look like that, uh, you don't think that you don't have to do anything. Exactly. She doesn't have to do anything. You just stand there.